Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Happy Monday. Hello, soulmates. We have plenty to discuss on this Monday. Welcome to Fox Souls Black Report. We're following the latest on a discrimination lawsuit against McDonald's and the historic sale for a family of black farmers. I'm Lee Cordelai Corte. And I'm Lee Thomas in for Courtney Hicks. Plus, Lorenz Tate has something to say about all the black British actors out there and uh, the documentary that is aimed it focused on those mix of mixed race. So those are some of the stories that impact the people and that we will touch on as well. That's right. And remember, we're bringing you our news, our views, and our voice. And so topping our news today, the family of Rasheem Carter, who remains, whose remains were found with his head severed in Mississippi last year, plans to protest this Saturday. Attorney Ben Crump, who's representing the family, says the demonstration will take place in Taylorsville. Carter's mother reported him missing in October 2022 after he was harassed by a group of white men. His remains were found a month later. Another set of remains discovered in February was linked to Carter, but the family has yet to receive adequate information from Mississippi officials overseeing the case. Just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, you know, it's hard enough for any family to, mm -hmm. to lose their loved one, but mm -hmm. to lose them as violently as they've yes. lost regime um, and for him to have been dismembered mm. and for them to still be getting reports, you know, about additional body parts found. It's one of those where you just sit back and there's not many words to be said, except you hope that the justice moves swiftly and appropriately in this case, as we say, in many that happened. But this is one, when I read it, it just makes you sit back for a second and go, mm, that's, um, that's uh, heartbreaking. Yeah, and how can we not think of Emmett Till's story? Uh, you yeah. know, when we hear this story, yeah. I mean, so many years later, uh, and the fact that the police didn't seem to be up and up, you know, uh, you know, they seem to, you know, uh, have skirted around, you know, what really happened. They still haven't given the family a straight right. answer. And that's part of the reason why Ben Crump is involved uh, with this case uh, and, you know, calling for people to protest this Saturday. To, to protest. And, and also it makes you think who's doing this investigation mm -hmm. and who has the oversight on the investigation? Because if you're leaving it in the hands of that department or that state department, is that enough? Is that enough? You want federal oversight? Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move to Shreveport. As the police chief, Wayne Smith, has placed three officers on administrative leave after a fatal shooting that happened on April the 23rd. Now, during a traffic stop, uh, officers encountered 33-year-old Joseph Dwayne Taylor, who was armed. Now, the report goes on to say that Taylor was uncooperative. A struggle uh, with multiple officers led to Taylor being shot multiple times and later pronounced dead at the hospital. Sergeant Daniel Denby, Officer Terry Simmons, and Officer Anthony Viscariati, Vis, Viscariati, excuse me, Viscariati, were placed on leave, and the investigation has been handed over to the Louisiana State Police. The Cincinnati NAACP wants police to revisit sensitivity training following an investigation into a white officer's alleged insensitive comments to a black officer. Curtis Latham made a remark about, quote, the master when Bakari Shah returned to street patrol from desk duty. Latham has been placed on desk duty while an investigation takes place. The police union defended Latham's comments as a joke, but the NAACP demanded accountability in ongoing racial sensitivity education. Last year, Cincinnati proposed a zero tolerance policy for city employees causing using caught using racial slurs while working. Um, you know, Lee, oftentimes, you know, we hear folks call for more training. Mm -hmm. Oh, the police need just more training. Give them more training. 
Uh, well, you know, I don't know what more training would have done in this situation, right? right? And, you know, uh, it seems that we need to, you know, sort of, you know, graduate from more training to perhaps certification, right? Mm. Anti-racist certification. How about mm. that? Yeah, you know, I, what, I think that's what, what would that involve? That's interesting to me. What, do you, what would certification involve? It would involve telling the truth. <laughs> it would be. It would involve yeah. being held accountable. It yeah. would. It would involve all the things that are in the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. That's what it would involve. There you go. I love that because we've heard more training so much that it means little to nothing at this point. And so, if certification is what is needed and certification is attainable with, with an, uh, an outline that's already there and established, I think it'd be something that they should implement across the country. Uh, I just think certification sounds, uh, sounds like a fantastic idea. I never yeah, thought of it that way. Yeah, I mean, at some point, it seems like these trainings are really protecting those bad apples. Everybody's yeah. so quick, quick to say, oh, there's only a few bad apples, you know. And we know that there are good officers out there in yeah. the line of duty. Uh, Courtney and I often talk about, you know, sort of, you know, uh, the blue culture right. uh, that some town, sometimes runs counter mm -hmm. uh, to folks having mm -hmm. an affinity for, an immersion with, and a respect for black mm -hmm. humanity. Uh, but, you know, training, these trainings ain't it. I, you uh, know, I, I think somebody needs to call for an audit of these trainings because they don't seem to be delivering the kind of yeah. change that we, that we need. Think of how many of these stories we report on day in and day out right here. It, is it better than nothing? Is training better than nothing, though? Uh, I, I am going to take a more expansive view, and um, uh, I think that, that it's a false choice to say we either go with the training program mm. uh, that doesn't seem to be delivering the results that we're calling for or mm. nothing. Nice. Yeah, I agree. I actually agree. Uh, let's talk about this. Restoring Artistic Protection. It's the Restoring Artistic Protection Act, which aims to protect artists from the wrongful use of their lyrics against them in court. Now, it has been reintroduced by Congress, by a Democratic congressman, Hank Johnson and Jamal Bowman, both Democrats. Now, the legislation seeks to limit the admissibility of evidence of an artist's creative expression in court. Representatives from various music organizations and First Amendment advocates joined the legislature in making the demand for free speech rights for artists, including rappers. Uh, the use of artists' lyrics against them in court is a long-established precedence, with the recent example being the Young Thugs and Young Slime Life Rico trial. Now, uh, according to the press release from Congressman Bowman's office, as of 2020, prosecutors in more than 500 criminal cases have used artists' lyrics as evidence against the artist. And yeah. to me, that just, it's, it sounds absurd to me. Mm -hmm. Because how many times have artists of all ethnicities said something in their lyrics that could be illegal, unlawful, unethical, mm -hmm. immoral. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could just go down the, uh, down the, the row. And yet, uh, it's interesting to see who gets prosecuted for mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, and you know, cheers for the First Amendment. I mean, you know, we just reported last week right here on Fox Hills Black Report of the Recording Academy, you know, hosting sort of Grammys on the mm -hmm. Hill, the Black mm -hmm. Music Coalition coming together mm -hmm. and really getting behind this because it's a shame that there are hundreds of cases out there where art, the art created by these artists is being used as a bludgeon against them in a court of law. And so, you know, salute to Congressman Hank Johnson, Congressman mm -hmm. uh, Bowman, you know, for having the courage in the House of Representatives to propose this kind of legislation um, to deliver, you know, some justice here. I mean, you know, uh, is, is, isn't the Miranda rights that say, you know, uh, you know, we should not, uh, you know, um, you know, basically does not put us in a situation of double jeopardy, right? right you know, right. And, and it seems to me that a lot of these artists may find themselves in positions of double jeopardy because mm -hmm. they have uh, lyrics that are out there, mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, uh, you know may be peddling in, in fiction, yes. right? Uh, but you have overzealous prosecutors, you know, that are mm -hmm. saying, that's not fiction, you know, you really did that. And so mm -hmm. uh, we'll continue to keep our eye on this case uh, as it, uh, it matters. 
I'd love to see Hollywood and big music and some big artists step into the conversation as well. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. Well, Jalen Hurts was briefly the highest paid NFL athlete until Lamar Jackson right, of now. the Baltimore Ravens <laughs> signed a historic $260 million contract for five more years. Wow. Including, get this, a guaranteed $185 million. Jackson negotiated the deal without an agent and reportedly allowed his mother. His mom and him did that paperwork. Look at that. Right? Isn't that incredible? His mom, his mom represented him. So. That was, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. Fans and supporters celebrated the news on Twitter with some noting how the deal would provide Jackson's family with generational wealth. Others suggested that NFL players should negotiate their own contracts and save on agent fees. Yeah, I'm glad that that all worked out for Lamar because at first it didn't seem like it was. It didn't seem like it was. But let's shift gears to a story that I read about and I was uh, in shock. But let's talk about this. Miami of Ohio women's basketball coach, Deuna Hendricks. She resigned after intimate text messages were discovered between her and one of her players. Now, the university initially suspended her back on April 20th and found that she violated the school's policy on consensual relationship between staff and students. Now, Hendricks resigned rather than go through a hearing, but the reason was not disclosed. Her resignation letter included stipulations on what information can be provided to future employers and restrictions on any derogatory statements. Um, this is one of those cases where if you're in college, mm -hmm. means you're over the age of 18, you're an adult. So it's the policies of the university that take precedence here because there's nothing, I don't know, maybe you would know better than me, there's nothing illegal here except that it was against the policy of the university. Not that I'm trying to defend anyone mm -hmm. here, uh, but it's interesting that the, we didn't read any of the text messages here, but there's some explicit text messages mm -hmm. that got released and I'm wondering, how does that happen? And all, also, total bad judgment, you don't date employees or players. Yeah. Period. Yeah, period, period, period. And, 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 and you're right, even though it, didn't, it, it violated the university policy, you're right, it, it didn't, apparently it didn't violate any sort of criminal uh, right. law, right. Didn't, didn't rise to that occasion. Uh, but you know, as, as I read the story, I wondered mm -hmm. you know, if it would be sort of open and shut case uh, if it were uh, a male. Mm -hmm. uh, coach mm -hmm. uh, and you know perhaps you know a female player or even a male player I mean right. you know what role is is gender sort of playing and how we're even talking about uh, this case right here um, and and even though again it doesn't violate any uh, you know criminal laws uh, it does violate some ethical laws it violates you know the kind of standard of judgment um, that one should have uh, particularly in an institution of higher education mm -hmm. and I wonder uh, does that uh, it's a very small culture when it comes to certain industries and coaching is one of them uh, is that going to affect her future employment is this a career ending situation for that coach I mean based upon that resignation letter you know if the university agreed to those terms you know it seems like um, it's an open question as to whether or not she will continue to, you know, have a career somewhere mm -hmm. else. Yeah, yeah. As, as opposed to some people who, you know, get canceled real quick. And real I, quick. I just don't see the cancel crowd, you know, trying to cancel her uh, as quickly as some others. That's mm -hmm. all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Argo Community High School near Chicago unveiled a statue honoring Mamie Till Mobley, the mother of Emmett Till, over the weekend. The statue was built by artist Sanja Henderson and depicts Till Mobley, who emerged as a prominent figure in the civil rights movement after her son's murder in 1955. Till Mobley insisted on having an open casket funeral where thousands of attendees saw what happened to her son, igniting the civil rights movement. The statue was unveiled alongside the Emmett Till Memorial Walkway. Till Mobley's alma mater hosted the ceremony with Illinois State Senator Kimberly Lightford speaking in honor of Till Mobley's bravery. I looked it's up beautiful. the information because it's a, beautiful tribute. Uh, a beautiful tribute and I wanted to make sure I got the director's name right of the movie Till. Mm -hmm. I loved that movie as a reviewer and I'm just saying any tribute to Emmett Till at any point is something that is well deserved but this to me is something special at the right time and if you have not seen that movie Till it is well 
worth the time mm -hmm. and the sensitivity that she played to the story itself uh, is well done. Deserved more accolades than it got Absolutely. and awards. Espe especially uh, Danielle Deadweiler. Deadweiler, who, yes. Who, That's what who, I was looking for. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, who, who played uh, Mamie Till Mamie in Till. that movie. She uh, carried the movie. It's her movie. She did. She yeah. did. And she was incredible. Incredible. incredible you know, and this, this is not just something that happened in the past. Mm -mm. You know, this is a history that is omnipresent. At the top of the show, we just reported on the latest mm -hmm. uh, in the case involving Rasheem Carter, mm -hmm. right? Where that story hauntingly sounds so much like Emmett Till's story, yes. right? You know, chased by a gang of white men, mm -hmm. right? You know, and in, in, ends up dead, you know, and the police, you know, really don't have any, any explanation for it, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, it's not just a statue, but it's a reminder of the work that is at hand right now today. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about President Biden and comedian Roy Wood Jr. brought laughs at the annual White House Correspondents' Dinner, which meant, which is meant to celebrate freedom of press. Now. Uh, despite all the laughs, he did take a moment to recognize uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. But I think the most insulting scandal to fall to the feet of the Biden administration was placed at the feet of our Madam Vice President. The scandal of what does Kamala do? <laughs> Which is a disrespectful question. That's a disrespectful question because nobody ever asked that question of the vice president until a woman got the job. Somebody asked. I don't know what Mike Pence did. The only thing I know about Mike Pence is that he's really good at playing hide and seek at the Capitol. <laughs> at the end of the day, as a vice president, the only thing, the only thing you got to do is just be better than Dick Cheney. <laughs> That's the bar. Just be better than Dick Cheney. Uh, now, once Biden transitioned to jokes, he, he, he poked fun at his age for Biden. He also made jabs at uh, Fox's Rupert Murdoch as well as the company in general and potential opponents for the 2024 presidential election. Wood followed with jabs at numerous cable networks, particularly Fox, Tucker Carlson, and even Don Lemon. One of his jokes that received notable pause was about drag queens in schools, which was a DeSantis joke. I watched that whole thing and some of those jokes didn't hit, but I will tell you one thing. Mm -hmm. He had some very funny stuff, some very edgy stuff, but he had a confidence of a guy that had done this before when I don't know if everybody knows who Roy Wood Jr. is. Mm -hmm. If you don't watch The Daily Show, he's a Daily Show correspondent. Yeah, yeah. And I had a chance to, to talk with Roy Wood Jr. this nice. weekend while I was in D.C. And, you know, you know on fr we talked on Friday. It's Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, and every single day he was very confident. Like you mm -hmm. never got the sense like, OK, you're about to have a big career moment. Make yeah, a break. Yeah, career defining. Uh, and uh, uh, he was just as calm and cool and collective mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and confident in what he was going to do. But he's also very rooted in our community. I mean, his father was so. a civil rights leader mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, a journalist, right? A journalist embedded he, in wartime. That's with, right. With troops. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, you know, and his mom, you know, worked in higher education in mm -hmm. Alabama, you know, and so, you know, you, you saw what difference being rooted in our history, in our culture made mm -hmm. in the kinds of jokes he delivered and mm -hmm. how he delivered them. And let me just tell you, after uh, he did his thing, he walked right over first, he walked over to Vice President Harris to, you know, show some love and then walked over to the president. So was he showing love or making sure everything was still cool? Because he cracked some jokes up in there. They look cool and they look, it looked like it was a lot of love. Good, 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 good. Still ahead, actor Lorenz Tate has some words for Hollywood. Mm, we'll tell you what he has to say about the increase of black British actors being cast in American roles. You are watching Fox Souls Black Report.
Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, Reverend Al Sharpton is demanding McDonald's take accountability for racial discrimination claims made against the fast food giant. Sharpton has sent a letter to the CEO demanding acknowledgement and resolution of the company's issues with black franchisees and a former black executive. Now, in 2021, McDonald's settled a lawsuit with retired MLB player Herb Washington over discriminatory practices. Uh, media mogul Byron Allen also filed a $10 billion petition against the company, alleging that McDonald's upholds discriminatory practices that prevent black-owned media outlets from having access to advertising opportunities. And I remember when he filed that lawsuit, mm -hmm. and I was... I was taken aback and surprised because no one had ever stepped up and said that about a company that big before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and these are no small things. It, it seems that there is a pattern in practice, at least according to Reverend Al Sharpton's letter, mm -hmm. that suggests that there are sort of multiple infractions um, that are being done at the hands of McDonald's corporate, and he's demanding answers for it. I mean, John Rogers, who's very well respected mm -hmm. uh, in the community, particularly in corporate America, um, was, you know, removed from the McDonald's board, right? And so a lot of people are wondering, well, what was that about, right? right? right. Did he did he leave because he wanted to leave or was mm -hmm. he pushed out? Mm -hmm. um, and is it is it in relation to any of these other accusations in terms of, um, you know, what may be motivating some um, explicit or implicit uh, racial bias, mm -hmm. you know, on the part of uh, decision makers at McDonald's? And so uh, we'll continue to keep our eye on that. Have to, have to, and I'm, I'm very interested to see how it pans out. Yeah. More than 30 African-American family members sold their land in Collarville, Tennessee to an independent hardware distributor, Orgill Incorporated. The 48-acre multi-million dollar sale was a joint effort by the small farmers who had owned the land for over 100 years. The sale was celebrated by the former landowners, Collierville Mayor Stan Joyner and their attorney on April 30th at the site on Bailey Station Road. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, you know, uh, land is hard to come by. Yes. Uh, this land has been in their family, I believe, mm -hmm. for, you know, over 100 years, if I remember years, correctly, yeah. a collection of families. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was reading the story. I'm like, are you sure you want to sell? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that you know, they're right. going to pay millions of dollars, but, you know, do you really want to sell? And are they paying you what this land is really worth? Mm. Because remember, this is happening in Tennessee. And lately, yes. there's been a lot of shenanigans taking place in Tennessee. Yeah. And you want to make sure they get a fair deal. And are they selling everything? Can they keep just a little piece of the land? You, you know what I mean? I when you look at these kinds of sales traditionally in the past it has not been fair and equitable so that's why there's always pause um, but if this is what the families want and it's a good deal for them I hope they get the best price they can I hope so too Lorenz Tate a very well-known actor has voiced his opinion on the industry's preferences for black British actors over black American actors on uh, the Earn Your Leisure podcast is where he made those statements. Now, he believes Hollywood thinks British actors that are black are more valuable because they have an audience overseas. Now, Tate also thinks that Hollywood loves all things British and is neglecting black American actors. Now, despite this, he supports black actors from all over and admires their achievements. Tate currently stars as Councilman Tate in the Power series and its spinoffs. He also says his character pushes boundaries and accomplishes the impossible. And I don't know. So, so what do you feel about this? I mean, you, know, yeah. you, you are a well-respected film critic. You know, it, yeah. you you uh, you know tr have been tracking the careers of mm -hmm. a lot of Black American actors mm -hmm. and British actors. What do you make of this? Well, I, I had said years ago that it, it's always interesting to me that when it comes to uh, racially charged subject matter. 12 Years a Slave, Selma. The lead character is usually and always a British black actor instead of an African American. So I broached that subject with an unnamed uh, star and they said, we're not taking those roles because mm. we don't want to play those kind of roles. So that may be part of the reason why they're getting those kind of roles. But when you start pointing out race and, and work, it's a slippery slope to me. And so I know that a lot of people are are very careful and to have Lorenz come out and say that. I mean, he's working, he's doing his thing. So uh, I think 
it's one of those things where you, you take a pause and you go, I see, I see your point, uh, but, and I'll put the period there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, and I also appreciated that he, he recognized that, you know, um, you know, he didn't, he didn't make the comment as like a, 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 a snipe. Yeah. towards black British actors, right, right? Right, But, you know, he also affirmed, you know, the collective talent of black folks mm-hmm. across the diaspora, right? Yes. And so yes. he's like, hey, you know, this is what's happening, you know, in the world according to Lorenz Tate, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, don't sleep on, you know, black actors across the entire diaspora. And so, you know, I appreciated that aspect of mm-hmm. his message that that wasn't a part of the headline, but right. it was a part of the story. It was part of the story. And real quick, there are so many emerging markets. Uh, a lot of people are heading to Africa. Idris Elba, part of a studio that's going to be in, in Ghana. Yeah. And I think that African Americans can start getting work over there as well as them getting work over here. And it becomes a true global industry. That's right. That's right. Yeah. When I was in uh, Africa with the vice president, mm-hmm. Idris Elba joined the Ghana leg yeah. and had said that he's invested uh, in several films already mm-hmm. on the continent and yep. plans to invest in several more. He's building the infrastructure to be able to support that. And so hopefully this is a movement where you know we mm-hmm. connect you know, mm-hmm. the talent uh, and the opportunity we have here in the United States with other parts of the African diaspora. Absolutely. Well, a Riverside Superior Court jury awarded a woman $2.28 billion for the sexual abuse she endured for years committed by her stepfather. You said billion with a B? I said billion with a B. Wow. Yeah, the woman sued for damages against her stepfather, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and her mother, who she said knew about the sexual abuse, but did nothing, nothing to Mm. protect her. The huge jury award of $836 million in damages and $1.44 billion in punitive damages is largely symbolic and unlikely to ever be fully paid. The stepfather admitted to molestation and rape in a sworn deposition testimony, but didn't appear at trial. This abuse occurred in their home and at the property of the Mormon church in which both Doe's, as in Jane Doe's, Mm -hmm. parents were active members. Yeah, that was billion with a B. That is a lot a, of money. A rim rocking number to me. Yeah. And it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to bring anyone else into the situation or any other uh, a religion into this situation. I'm just going to stick with this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to make that kind of uh, settlement makes a big statement, uh, and. Uh, I would be interested to see what the number for. I'm trying not to say other religions, I mean, but there have been. This is been, Black Report. You can say it. We family in the Catholic Church. Uh huh. They have dealt with molestation. Yeah. And I haven't seen a number that big, and yet there is a place called the Vatican that has more money than some countries. Mm -hmm. And so that is an interesting thing to happen. Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of the biggest numbers, one of the biggest judgments that I've ever seen. Yeah, And and who knows, you know, um, what this might signal to other survivors, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Maybe it might, uh, you know, encourage them to, you know, summon the courage, you know, to bring forth their cases. Uh, But uh, it's a shame how many adults knew about this. I mean, yes. you know, the molestation, uh, according to the report, started when she was five years old. Mm. Right? Uh, and uh, people in positions of power and influence and authority did mm-hmm. nothing. If anything, mm-hmm. they tried to, to shame her. Right. They tried to silence her. Right. Right? And mm-hmm. that happens far too often, not just in, you know, the Catholic Church, but it happens in a lot of institutions. And so, you know, we all have to not just look for the signs, mm-hmm. see something, say something, do something. Yes, yes. Seek justice. It's there to be had. Yeah. Up next on Fox Soul's Black Report, we'll speak with comedian W. Kamau Bell. That's right. He has a new documentary out that focuses on growing up mixed. He'll tell us the importance of this project and more when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Souls Black Report. Well, comedian W. Kamau Bell is sitting down with a number of San Francisco Bay Area families to talk growing up mixed. 
Yeah, his new documentary, 1000% Me, Growing Up Mixed, explores interracial couples, their multiracial kids, and uncovers insight about the experience and identity formation of being young and multiracial today. That's right, and here to discuss his new documentary is Emmy-winning producer, director, host, and comedian, W. Kamau Bell. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report, brother. <laughs> Thanks for having me, brother. Hey, first of all, first of all, how you doing, man? I know you 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 talk about subjects that are very uh, inspired and sometimes controversial. You've traveled the country and done so many things. What inspired this? Uh, my kids, me and my wife. My wife's white. I'm black, as you can see. Uh, <laughs> we have three mixed race daughters. They identify as black and mixed race. And then our oldest daughter, Sammy, has other mixed race friends who are mixed in ways she's not mixed. And so we were just curious about what these kids were thinking about, what they were talking about. And so that's what inspired the film. And, and tell us, you know, what do you really want folks to learn from this, this documentary, especially in a time like this where there's lots of foot that's anti-black in rhetoric and in legislation? What do you want people to get from this documentary right here and right now? So there's two things. One, that uh, I think sometimes we think that mixed folks are somehow not are rejecting like the black side if they're mixed with black and something else and i think what we understand is what we understand from this film is that mixed folks believe it's not i'm not half of this and half of that i'm both that it's mm. addition so i think that's one thing and, and allowing mixed folks a place to talk about their experiences not all the folks are mixed with black in here but just allowing them a space because a lot of mixed folks i've heard from say as adults they don't feel like they have the time or place to talk about their experience the second thing is we are at a time in this country, as you both know, where they're saying we should not teach an accurate history of this country that covers enslavement and Jim Crow and structural racism and, and, and inequality. And these kids sit down in this documentary and very effortlessly talk about all those things and they're not overwhelmed by it and they can deal with it. So hopefully we will uh, airdrop these over Florida so we can get that state right. <laughs> <laughs> you can say say that again. And, and then go back home, just airdrop them, let them fix it and then yeah, and then, yeah go back home. Uh, let, let's talk about this. I know uh, it used to be one, one drop and you're a part of the black community is the way I was told when I was a kid. Uh, what are some of the reasons uh, that, that the kids state uh, make them feel overlooked. Overlooked, and also, when you have kids and your own kids, are they in the in the subject matter? Did you feel a certain kind of way about you know approaching the subject? Because as a dad, you, you want to make sure they're okay talking. Well, yeah, I mean, in our house, we have these conversations all the time. So my kids, uh, you know, they're like me. I grew up celebrating Kwanzaa when I think I was the only black kid in the neighborhood who did so. So that my kids are celebrating Kwanzaa, but they're also going to their uh, to their family's house, my wife's family, to have crap cioppino on uh, Christmas Eve because that's how the Italian-Americans do it. So <laughs> our kids are very capable of having these conversations. We have them all the time. And I think that's the thing that's important is that the earlier you talk to kids about this stuff, the more mm -hmm. they're able to deal with it. And again... I think what you're talking about, that one drop rule, is because you're talking about a time where, and this still exists, you know, that, yeah. you know, there's a lot of black folks in the South who are light-skinned, would, would never think of themselves as being mixed, because that's not how the culture is. But if mm -hmm. you're talking about kids around the country, and they have a black dad and a Chinese-American mom, they see the mix of cultures all the time. So they can't think of themselves as being one or the other. They think of themselves as being both. And spe speaking of being both, you know, and I have plenty of mixed nieces and nephews, and this mm -hmm. question uh, comes up uh, when people get real comfortable. Uh, but I'm going to ask you, what's your response when people, you know, call folks like you that have married outside of the race a sellout for marrying outside the race? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, me and my wife have been together for 20 years, so uh, unless you're going to help me pay the rent, I'm not going to really take comments on what you think about my marriage. So let me just say that clearly. I understand that there are black folks who feel a type of way, and when I'm in those spaces, if they want to talk to me and have a respectful conversation about it, I will have that conversation. I'm not responding to every internet comment about it. I understand where that comes from, but one of the things that the film says, and I think we know this generally, is that you got to follow your heart. you got to follow where your heart goes. So. I am not here to say that interracial marriages are the way to go. <laughs> I'm not trying to encourage or push them on anybody. I'm saying that's the way I went. Me and my wife are a good partnership and a good team, and we got great kids. And if you want to explain to me why I made a bad choice, first you got to help me pay my mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. 
You've traveled around and talked to so many people. When you come across somebody that's acoustic, when you come across somebody that you need to have a conversation with that doesn't necessarily know how to have this conversation, how do you talk to them about cultural differences in a marriage? I mean, so first of all, let me be clear. On my first episode of United Shades of America, I had a member of the KKK tell yes, me that you did. We marriage. remember that. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember the KKK told me that interracial marriage was worse than murdering somebody. So <laughs> uh, after I survived that, I'm pretty good at listening to people in conversation. I think a lot of times in conversations, especially when people are talking about controversial or divisive things, people want to trigger you. They want you to react. So they're trying to bait me all the time. But I'm pretty good at this conversation thing. So I'm able to sit across from somebody, even if they don't like me, if they don't respect what I'm saying, and listen to them. Because a lot of times, by the time they get to the end of what they're saying and you haven't interrupted them, they don't know what else to say. And then you can actually have a real conversation. Uh, so tell us, you know, what is it like raising multicultural kids? Is there a difference of conversation or style from raising black kids? I mean, it's funny. I think that we sort of overstate the difference. I mean, if you're if you're a black person who was born in Chicago and you marry a black person who was born in Mobile, Alabama, <laughs> there are going to be cultural differences there that you have to figure out. So anytime you're marrying somebody outside of your immediate community, there's going to be things that are different. Now, the difference is in our household, we have to have the serious racism conversation and my kids have it with me, their black dad, but they also have with their white mom, which a lot of kids don't get to have a conversation like that with white people, maybe ever, you know, yeah. certainly, you know, so mm -hmm. I think that there's just different levels to the conversation. Doesn't make it better, it just makes it different. Uh, I've had to have conversations with my daughter, she's 14, and there have been words, including the N-word, that has been used at her school. People are so much more caustic at home, and those kids are bringing it to their environment as well. What did you tell your kids when it comes to those kinds of conversations? Because it seems like, I don't know about other ethnicities, but it seems like African Americans are having to have these conversations with each other and with their children right now. I mean, I think the thing is, is that trying to teach our kids you know who you are and always stand up for who you are mm -hmm. so don't let somebody else tell you who you are or who you are not now luckily we live in the bay area it ain't perfect out here but it is a lot different than lots of other places around this country yes so uh i would say this that like i think it's important that parents really don't condescend to your children don't think your kids aren't ready and be and you know, I, I have kids who like who will correct the teacher if need be. So that's the kind of kids I think as black folks we have to raise kids who are prepared and smarter than your average kid because the world out here is dangerous for us. Well, we want to thank you for this work. We want to thank you uh, for continuing to give us more food for thought. Um, but more importantly, thank you for joining us here today. Come on back again soon. Thanks 1000 Me, Growing Up Mix premieres on HBO tomorrow, May 2nd. And so uh, soulmates, be sure to check it out. We appreciate you, W. Kumar. We appreciate thank you. you, man. All right, now May is Mental Health Awareness Month and the CDC estimates that about 50 million Americans are currently living with a mental illness. Yeah, Fox 26 anchor Denise Middleton introduces us to one woman who's working to reduce the stigma around mental health issues and get Houstonians dealing with the crisis and when they need help with that crisis. Anyone can experience mental health problems. You may know someone battling a condition right now. Our mental health is so important at every stage of life. That's why it's so crucial to recognize the signs and know when to get help. So in a month, I can see anywhere between 200 and 500 people. Nicole Milton is dedicated to providing awareness, education and resources for mental health issues throughout the Houston area. But during COVID, she experienced trauma of her own when her mom had a health scare and needed to be hospitalized. It was like my brain was scattered. I, I didn't know what to do, what to think. At the time, Milton admits she wasn't sure how she'd get through it. So what I had to rely on was my community, my family, my friends to like guide me through this process and let me know that I was going to be okay. Trauma is among some of the most common mental health conditions, along with depression and anxiety. All three make up 30% of diagnoses of mental illness in America, according to the CDC. The agency estimates about one in every five Americans is currently living with a mental illness. That's more than 50 million people. We all get anxiety, um, but when we start to notice that it's impacting our daily life, like our thoughts are 
are racing all the time. We're not able to do our daily life functions. That's when we know depression, um, Usually that's when you see people start to do like an isolation. I'm not participating in any of the activities or things that I used to do. There's also high functioning mental illness that may be hard to detect, which is why recognizing the symptoms is key. You know, their sleep patterns are off and so they're uh, kind of sluggish or, you know, they're constantly needing coffee or they're always tired and fatigued and that makes them irritable, snappy. Race, gender and ethnicity may also play a role in mental health. As we're seeing uh, the largest number of uh, people that are diagnosed are white men. They also are the largest part of the population, but we're seeing a rise um, in our uh, black and brown youth um, having more suicidal ideation, experiencing um, anxiety and depression um, at higher rates. But with the right treatment, people can overcome their challenges. If you're starting to kind of be concerned about your mental health, the sooner you address it, the better, so that you have the tools um, to, you know, help yourself get back on the right track. But with the right treatment, people can overcome their challenges. Experts say the best thing to do is to find outlets that are helpful for you, whether that's therapy, journaling, or talking to a trusted friend, family member, or coach. But most importantly, do things that make you happy. You can find a list of resources on our website, fox26houston.com. Denise Middleton, Fox 26 News. And thank you to Denise Middleton for that report. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, 50 million people. Did you know that 50 million mm -hmm. people in the United States living with a mental illness? No, I did not know that. That's I a knew, lot of people. I knew it's a large number. And since the pandemic, the numbers have been going up, especially uh, they were talking about diagnosed. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, especially in our community, are not diagnosed, mm -hmm. nor do they ever seek treatment. And so I am interested to see that those numbers for younger African-Americans, because they are dealing with things that we have never had to deal with, social media, the proliferation of social media, the unkindness of social media, and also an acoustic nature that is uh, more overtly acoustic than I have seen in a very long time. Yeah, and we can't, we can't look at this disconnected from, again, uh, the political climate that we find ourselves in, the inflection point that we're living mm -hmm. in as a country, you know, the mass shootings, the epidemic mm. of gun violence that we see. And so, I mean, we're human, yeah. you know, and as human beings, you know, uh, we feel some kind of way, you know, mm -hmm. when, we're, when we're surrounded by, you know, what feels like a, a disrespect for human life. Uh, what feels like a disrespect to our fellow Americans, right? And so, you know, look, look at what's happening on, on campuses, on school mm. campuses, you mm -hmm. know, across the country. And so, you know, um, it's important that people, you know, identify uh, tips, tools, and resources that are available, yes. right? Um, and we've got to do more to make that available to the masses, particularly the black and brown youth, yes. as you mentioned. Absolutely. You know, where suicide ideation um, and youth suicides have gone up oh. dramatically. Yeah. Absolutely. Coming up, Deion Sanders is sounding off on this year's NFL draft. I will tell you exactly what Coach Prime felt about the league drafting only one player from an HBCU. We'll be right back. Of course, you're watching Fox Souls Black Report. All right, now, Coach Prime. <laughs> Welcome back to Fox Souls Black Report. Okay, one of my favorites, Kendrick Lamar. He's reached yet another career milestone. Yeah, the rapper's The Big Steppers Tour is now the highest grossing tour by a rapper in hip-hop history. I believe it. Hip-hop history. Mm -hmm. Now, this new accomplishment comes as the tour was just announced last year with the 73-show tour selling more than 920,000 tickets that's just tickets spanning not only the United States but the United Kingdom Australia and New Zealand that's right the tour is, in total has grossed get this more than 110 million dollars worldwide congratulations Kendrick Lamar um, I, I can't wait to see him in concert uh, soon mm -hmm. uh, but I mean I think he's, he's just a genius he's a musical genius he's really special mm -hmm. you know um, I totally dig you know um, you know what he raps about 
That's uh, all of it. And he just, he's, a, he's a fresh voice, yeah. he's a fresh perspective, and you know, the artistry is just so po poetic. In a lot of ways, he reminds me of Jay-Z, but mm -hmm. he still has his own spin, his own stamp, his own flavor. Yeah, he just, he's one of those guys that, it's the words, like mm -hmm. the, the, the words he chooses, the platforms that he takes, and the way he puts it together, it makes him a, a special artist. And yeah. so congratulations to him, he deserves all, all that bag of money and, and more yeah. and continue to produce more good stuff. Yeah, and he's not yeah. overexposed either. Yeah, right? he does it right. Yeah, he does, he does not do a lot of interviews. However, Kendrick, if you're watching, <laughs> come on over here to Fox Soul's Black Report. Come talk to us. Yeah, give us a we minute. We want to talk to you, come on. Yeah, good stuff. All right, let's talk about another rapper who's doing very well. 50 Cent is plugging into his own power, so to speak, as the mogul just purchased a 985,000 square foot space for his new G-Unit studios. 50 took uh, to social media to share a preview of the space with captions that read, quote, GLG Greenlight, Gang G-Unit Film, and TV Boom, I Need Room to Work. I don't miss TV, uh, I don't miss, TV will never be the same. No word currently on if the studios are located in Texas, where 50 relocated in 2021, but celebrities all across the industry are sending congratulations to 50 Cent. And man, so we got Atlanta with Tyler Perry, mm -hmm. and 50 Cent wherever, wherever this is. Yeah. I love this direction. Talking about owning your own product. That's right. Um, you know, uh, I think I, I always everybody always goes to Oprah mm -hmm. when it comes to stuff like this. Mm -hmm. But she owned her show. She owned mm -hmm. uh, the studio. She owned the production. And it's cool, very cool, to see people understanding that mm -hmm. and and following suit. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, especially in this media climate where we see the landscape shifting, you know, people mm -hmm. are on multiple platforms. Mm -hmm. You know, content has never been more valuable now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, it's great to see our people sort of leaning mm -hmm. into that. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, and there are so many examples uh, in 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 media. Um, and in other industries, right? Yeah. And so let's let's keep it going. Yeah, keep it going. Even if you have that home studio in your basement, some of those home studios look nice. That's right. Yeah, good o stuff. Own your stuff. Own it. Well, the 2023 NFL Draft is in the books, and the first round was one for the history books as three black quarterbacks were selected within the first 10 picks. Starting off with Bryce Young, who was selected first round, first pick, kicking off the draft. He's a quarterback from Alabama who will now go on to play for the Carolina Panthers, followed by C.J. Stroud, who was selected right after Young. C.J. was selected round one, second pick. He's a quarterback for Ohio State who will now go on to play for the Houston Texans. Then, last but certainly not least, Anthony Richardson, who plays for Florida but will play for the Colts where the owner has already said that Anthony will start this season. He was also selected mm. in the first round as the fourth draft pick. Congrats to all of these brothers. Yes. We love to see it. Yes, congratulations, keep it going. Uh, now, not everyone was pleased by this year's NFL draft. NFL legend and college coach, primetime, Deion Sanders, has strong feelings about this year's event. Now, Sanders says he is, quote, ashamed unquote, of the NFL. After only one player from a historically black college or university was drafted, that player being Isaiah Bolden, who played cornerback for Jackson State, where Sanders was the coach before heading to Colorado. Now, Sanders says Bolden deserved to be drafted much higher, and he's ashamed of the remaining 31 teams that couldn't find draft value in the talent at HBCUs, and that is a very, very good point. Last week, uh, we were talking in the news uh, here uh, about about more players choosing to go mm -hmm. to HBCUs, specifically in Tennessee, and how they were trying to change legislation for public universities to make sure that all the money that was going to go with those players, as as uh, the uh, attendance increased at the university, and you get more money from the state, mm -hmm. they were talking about changing the rules. This is always interesting to me. It's hard to believe that only one player from HBCU is NFL 
material. Yeah, and it's, it's hard for us to believe, it's hard for Coach Prime to believe, but there are people that have a whole range of opinions on Coach Prime um, because he was at Jackson State and he, left. Uh, in HBCU <laughs> and he went to a predominantly white institution mm -hmm. uh, in Colorado. And so there are a number of people that feel like, you know, dude, you know, don't talk about it, be about it. And the place to mm -hmm. be about it was Jackson State. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are other folks that say, you know what, it's good to see him continuing, continuing to use to his platform, yep. you know, to call attention to the uh, desperate treatment that HBCUs get in mm -hmm. funding and, mm -hmm. and, and the disparate opportunities that exist for talent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ah, um, I'm interested to see if he continues to speak up because this is brand new. It's his first season with this new team. I'm interested to see if it continues throughout his career. Mm. Oh, and, and for Coach Prime. And where this is going. I mean, is he ultimately yep. trying to go to the NFL maybe? Mm. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Um, we'll uh, continue to stay dialed into that conversation. But more history is being made in the sports world as Kevin Durant inks a lifetime contract with Nike. Now, Kevin is now only one of three basketball players to have done such a thing. He joins the ranks of all-time greats, Michael Jordan and LeBron James, in case you didn't know. The only other athletes to have signed a similar deal is soccer player uh, Cristadio Ronaldo in 2016. The 34-year-old also tweeted about the news, writing, quotes, a true honor to be in the game for life with Nike. And I'm sure it's great to have that money oh, for yeah. life. Yeah, from Nike. money for life. I was reading a story <laughs> about about uh, Allen Iverson mm -hmm. and I don't know if you read it a week or two ago where he just got paid a 20 million dollars that was in his contract from when he signed with I believe it was Reebok that they had a, a clause in his contract where when he hit a certain age he got a big a big payday and he just got it I'm sure it came love in it. it I'm sure it came in a nick of time yeah coming up on Foxhole's Black Report it's our favorite segment black excellence we'll tell you all about the history being made at Morgan State University for the school's wrestling team. We'll be right back. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. Before we go, Black Excellence from its uh, from Morgan State University. That's right. The HBCU will be the first to compete in Division I wrestling. This is all thanks to Jahai Jones and legendary pro wrestler Kenny Monday who were advocates for the school. 25-year-old Jones will serve as the director of the program that is set to launch next year. Now, Jones says he was inspired to bring this sport to campus after watching the horrific police brutality death of George Floyd. He wanted to find a way to empower black men and bring representation into the ring. Good job, young and man. We love to see it. We love to see it, mm -hmm. even in, in pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. You know, we got yeah. folks representing. Yes, we do, and I, I'm a big wrestling fan, so. Uh, Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> all right. All right, Lee. We just learned something new. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I'm Lee Cordelai Corte. And I'm Lee Thomas in for Courtney, of course. And on behalf of the entire team here at Fox Souls Black Report, stay lifted.